Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Toronto Blue Jays 3, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Divi Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. Uh, I, I hope you liked pitching for this one. My, my wife looked up at the TV at one point and went, this is a boring game. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. I know it's nothing, nothing going into the eighth inning. But uh has been a good pitcher's duel, so at least we got that, right? Um, we do. We do have that. Remember, at this point in the season, I said I was going to look for the silver linings. I was going to look for the positives. And Gavin Williams is the positive. We lose this game. The offense looks absolutely terrible. Uh, but Gavin Williams was a huge Huge positive in this game. So we're going to start with him. He's clearly the top storyline of the game. I actually have some 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 MLB news that I want to touch on. Uh, for some reason, we've gotten away from talking about some things going on in the game. And there's just some things I want to mention uh, as we head towards the end of the show here. But first, let's start with Gavin Williams. And what a performance. 12 strikeouts. Easily his best start as a Cleveland Guardian, uh, you know, in his uh, rookie season here uh, for uh, for the young man. It ties his uh, longest outing of the season with his second start of the season in Kansas City, uh, where he went seven innings as well. But he only, uh, actually a very similar line. Uh, so let's give you the line first in this game. Seven innings pitched, one hit. No runs, one walk, 12 strikeouts on 90 pitches. He's only hard hit twice. That is a one heck of a start there. Uh, in that second start of his career against Kansas City, he also went seven innings, gave up one hit, no runs, no home runs, one walk, and six strikeouts in that one. So obviously adding in the strikeouts here, uh, getting the double-digit strikeouts. In fact, it's his highest strikeout total of the season, Majors and minors combined. It's the first time he's reached double-digit strikeouts here in the majors. And uh, once in uh, this minor league season against the Louisville Bats back in early May, he hit 10 strikeouts. It was the only time uh, between, I believe, uh, yeah, double-A and triple-A that he was able to reach double-digit strikeouts. So that's impressive. So what was working for Gavin Williams in this one? Well, I am... okay. Before we get in, before I say it, uh, we have been mentioning and we've been tracking his fastball location. And his fastball has at times ridden a little high. At times, it's ridden a little bit to his arm side. So from the catcher's view, uh, a lot of times it's been up to the left. And if you look at his StatCast page, if you look at the heat map on his fastball, it does indicate that he does tend to throw it to that arm side of the plate and does tend to throw it up a little bit. Well, he definitely corrected that in this game. He made the adjustment and he was lighting up the entire strike zone with that fastball, throwing it in and out, throwing it up and down, but mostly having a lot of success throwing it up still, which is okay, but it wasn't up above the strike zone. It wasn't hovering above the strike zone. He was pounding it at their letters, under their arms. He was using the top of the strike zone. So there's a big difference between missing up with that fastball and using the top of the strike zone effectively with that fastball. 
So definitely, definitely location has improved on that Gavin Williams fastball. So that is good to see. And the numbers uh, show it as well. The CSW numbers for Gavin Williams. Uh, 25 swings in that fastball, 12 whiffs. It's good for a 48% whiff rate on the fastball. Uh, Add in 14 called strikes. It's a 50% CSW on that pitch, which means half the time, half the time when that ball left his hand, he was getting a strike. Not to mention the nine foul balls, too. They only put four fastballs in play. Man, that thing was absolutely electric. No surprise here that the velocity was up on it a half a mile per hour over his yearly average. He went from 95.5 to a 96 mile per hour average and topped out at 97.9. So touching 98 with that fastball. Uh, you know, his off speed stuff was okay to go with it. Uh, it's a 43% total riff, whiff rate on the day and a 42% total CSW on the day. So he breaks that coveted 40% mark on the CSW numbers. Um, going back to the illustrator here, just to let you know where all this swing and miss was happening, and then we'll talk the strikeouts. So let's just start with the swing and miss. Uh, the fastballs, like I said, pretty much from the belt or above. He didn't get any swing and miss on those fastballs down low. All the swing and miss came from the belt or above. In fact, I should say there's one at the belt. The rest are pretty much from the belly or above or the letters in above. Uh, he did get a couple curveballs there and three sliders going out of the zone. Got guys to extend the strike zone and chase that slider. Um, one curveball is in the zone. One is to Brandon Belt below the zone. I believe that's the second curveball of the at-bat that he threw him to end the sixth inning. I think he threw him one that he laid off and threw him another one, came right back with it that he could not lay off for a strikeout. And so those are just your swing strikes. So where were the actual strikeouts located? Um, two of those curveballs, uh, two of those outside sliders, one called strike slider that's right on the outside edge to uh, Dalton Varsho. Uh, that was in the fifth inning on a full count, uh, the second out of the inning. And then the rest are on those fastballs. And I believe they're all, all except for one is a called strike. Uh, one strikeout looking, that was to Davis Schneider uh, in the third inning. The rest of these are all swinging strike fastballs. So there you go. That's what was working for Gavin Williams on the day. And it's a start we needed to see. I mean, this is the guy. This is the guy when we drafted him. This is the guy as he was coming up through the minors where everyone was, you know, he was popping up on different Twitter accounts and popping up and different highlights and, and prospect rankings. This was the guy we anticipated. And uh, man, the Cleveland Cleveland's pitching scouts and their pitching factory might have done it again. Now, the key is to build on the success. And I'm not saying he needs double-digit strikeouts every time he goes out there. But he has to continue to use the strikeout as a weapon. And he got to continue to be able to move that fastball around the strike zone. Make them uh, chase that fastball all around the strike zone and uh, and continue to attack. Continue to attack. Build off of this for Gavin Williams. Um, on the other side of things, uh, it's a shame because Ryu uh, for Toronto was 
pitching a no-hitter, uh, was pitching very well, gets through four innings, unfortunately takes an Oscar Gonzalez uh, shot up the middle off of the knee, it looked like. I, I didn't get the post-game report. I'm recording this you know, kind of at midnight right after the game. I don't know if Ryu's going to be okay, but he had to come out of the game. And his slow stuff uh, wasn't necessarily uh, – he only had two strikeouts. So, I mean, it was just keeping us off balance. He only had two hard-hit balls on 52 pitches. It was just keeping our hitters off balance all night. They could not figure it out. It was it was almost bizarre watching Oscar Gonzalez whiff on, like, 88-mile-per-hour fastballs. Um, so, yeah, so Ryu gives them a good start for four innings before he has to leave for injury. And then, I mean, their bullpen goes to work. They end up using seven pitchers on the day. And they're able to survive and come away with this win. Which shows you just how ice freaking cold the Guardians offense is. Now, we're we're getting what we want, right? A lot of the guys that we were pulling for are up here, right? Bo Naylor is catching. Uh, Arias and Rokio are up here and getting playing time. Oscar Gonzalez is back in right field. Andres Jimenez is hitting second in the lineup. Man, a lot of the things we were asking for, we have in this situation, and they're, they're just not hitting. Um... Uh, so uh, they jump on us for two runs. They get to De Los Santos for a two-run home run from Kevin Biggio of all hitters. The guy has been, since the 2020 pandemic season, been struggling. He's got a 600 OPS in all three seasons since the shortened season. And uh, somehow he jumps on one here against De Los Santos. I went to the matchup to take a look. De Los Santos basically throws him three changeups in a row. He chases one changeup uh, away off the plate. He lets one go down at his knees. Uh, it's a 1-1 count. It's supposed to be another outside changeup. If you look at the replay, Bo Naylor is definitely set up outside, and this thing comes back middle in, and he turns on it. And I can't blame him for crushing a mistake like this. 101.7 mile per hour exit velocity. 31-degree launch angle, 415 feet out to right. Maybe, oh no, uh, it was more right center field. It was in those seats right in front of the bullpen, uh, if memory serves. And it would have been a home run in 25 out of 30 ballparks. So, Kevin Biggio, their number 8 hitter, uh, probably would be their number 9 hitter if they didn't just trade for Paul DeYoung um, to come over from uh, from St. Louis, right? Uh, he's... He's not known for his power. He's not He's not one of their big hitters. But he comes through and gets one off De Los Santos. Now, uh, I, you know, I've been, I checked on De Los Santos' game logs. Like, cut him some slack. I know for bullpen guys, there's pretty much no margin for error. But he had not given up a home run since, I believe, early June to the Minnesota Twins. He gave up a home run on June 4th. So we went from June 4th to August 7th before he gave up another home run. It's a pretty good run, let's be fair. Uh, He gave up two runs in his first appearance back after the All-Star break to the Texas Rangers, and then he hadn't given up a run since then. So it's another. That's a pretty good run for a relief pitcher. Unfortunately, uh, the offense obviously doesn't give him anything to work with. They're, they're walking a tightrope here on a 0-0 game. Every pitcher that comes into this game is walking that same tightrope, right? They're all on the edge of being the guy that blows it. 
It just happens to be De Los Santos. Now, I thought the Guardians do a good job of rallying back after that. Um, they tried to respond. Brian Rocchio with a one-out single. Somehow, uh, Miles Straw, you know, uh, DeMarlo, Halo, DeMarlo, DeMarlo Hale was managing the game. Uh, with Francona serving that one-game suspension for the ejections. We'll talk about that in a second uh, when we get to kind of MLB news. Um, he doesn't pinch hit for Miles Straw here in the eighth inning. I, I Once again, I'm thinking to myself, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to uh, get a pinch hitter? I don't Honestly, I don't even know who was healthy on the bench. We know Fry isn't healthy. feels like we haven't seen Brennan in a day or two. Is Brennan healthy? Like it doesn't seem like anyone on the bench, you're not going to go to Gallagher. So uh, I know the options were kind of limited here, but he, he couldn't pinch at Brennan. Uh, Straw, though, uh, somehow actually comes up with a hit. Straw shoots it through the right side, and Rokio moves up to second. That brings up O'Naylor. They go to their bullpen, and they bring in Tim Meza to face him, a lefty to face O'Naylor. Throws him nothing but hard sinkers. Finally, on the fifth one of the at-bat, it's an inside pitch, and he turns on it and shoots it 93.2 into right field. Rokio scores from second. Straw goes to third. You got runners on the corner and one out. So it's a nice little rally there. Unfortunately, Quan uh, fouled one off down the left field line that you thought might be the bloop hit that we needed. Uh, but unfortunately, he chases a slider uh, down below the knees, and he hits it into a double play where Kevin Biggio gets it. Bo Naylor is caught in no man's land, tags him out, and then beats Quan to first base. It's one of the more bizarre double plays you'll ever see, an unassisted double play by a second baseman. Naylor was in no man's land. Maybe, maybe he could have made it past Biggio and made it to second base or, or at least forced a throw to second base maybe it would have been real close uh, to see if Biggio could have tagged him and then just thrown to first as well. So uh, Naylor was kind of strung out to dry there uh, where Quan hit the ball. Disappointing to see Quan not come up with the hit in this situation and shocked to see Miles Straw actually come up with the hit in this situation. I mean, the worst thing about this is now it's going to give Francona ammunition for when Straw comes up in another high-leverage situation not to pinch hit for him. He's going to go, well, you know, against the Blue Jays, he got that hit in the eighth inning, so, yeah, we left him in there. We needed a hit. And you're going to go, no, that's, you're learning the wrong lesson from these things. And, and I'll, I'll give you the difference here. I looked up Straw's leverage numbers. Uh, his numbers, you know, in high-leverage situations, medium-leverage situations, and low-leverage situations... And again, this this is about how it moves the win probability line. Uh, so obviously, late and close games are going to move the win probability line a ton. And that's where you find high leverage situations. And he's got a 548 OPS. Straw does in high leverage situations. A 525 in medium. But he got a 693 in low leverage situations. And the OPS plus the split relative to the rest of the league... He's a 50 OPS plus in high leverage. He's a 46 in medium, and he's a 94 in low leverage. So when nothing's on the line, uh, sure, he's a round league average. When anything is on the line, he's a 50% less than league average in those high leverage situations. And to show you how reliable Quan usually is, in high leverage situations, he's got a 733 OPS. 
In medium leverage situations, he's got a 730 OPS. In low leverage situations, he's got a 709 OPS. Pretty consistent. Actually gets better the more challenging the situation. And uh, again, split relative to the rest of the league. In high leverage, it's a 101 on the OPS+. Plus. A medium leverage is a 99 on the OPS plus, and on low leverage, it's a 98 on the OPS plus. So Quan is usually pretty freaking reliable. I, right there in the middle of the pack, league average, but you pretty much know what you're going to get there. Now, unfortunately, those numbers aren't 100% because he did not, you know, he doesn't come up with it here. He hits into a double play, and he kind of ends this threat right here. Then they're able to answer. Uh, Belt jumps on a. Uh, on a sinker, on a fastball from Sandlin right in the middle of the plate. Does a good job with that sidearm delivery of shooting it the opposite way. And they're able to drive him in to score and uh, make it a 3-1 to game. And the Guardians uh, can't answer. They definitely have their chance in the ninth inning. Andres Jimenez, of course, is hit by a pitch. How else would you expect them to get on base? Uh it is amazing. I mean, this this isn't even one. We can't even blame him for not getting out of the way on this one. He just literally got pegged on the foot. Uh, Jose Ramirez comes through with a single through the right side. Jimenez literally uh, doesn't have to hesitate to make sure the ball gets through. Has to literally hesitate to make sure not to get hit by the ball. Uh, and moves up to second. Unfortunately, Oscar Gonzalez would ground out. Uh, Cole Calhoun would fly out. Gabriel Arias would walk to load the bases, and Rokio would ground out to end the threat. So, Rokio had a chance to play hero here late in the game. So did Gabriel Arias, frankly, uh, have a chance to play hero late in the game. Uh, ends up drawing the walk. Uh, been curious what to see what would have happened if Arias was forced to put the ball in play. Uh, and then Rokio, unfortunately, hey, he puts it in play. Uh, just a nice... Simple ground out to end things. So uh, there was a question of whether uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s foot came off the base, but it was just a Hail Mary challenge. That his foot didn't come off the base. So that's the final. Blue Jays 3-1 to one over your Guardians. And like I said, you, you've got these guys up here. You're seeing them. Uh, Rokio actually goes 2-4 for four on the day. So even though he makes the final out of the game, he's got... What is that? Forty percent of your hits on the day are courtesy of Brian Rocchio, so uh, not a terrible day. Plus, made two fantastic defensive plays. Let's not exclude the defense, please. Uh, makes a uh, crazy over-the-shoulder catch running out into left field. Uh, literally overruns it and has to kind of reach back and make an incredible catch. Makes a great stop going to his left, spins and throws. I mean, that is the shortstop defense we have been waiting to see in Cleveland since, I don't know, Omar Vizquel left town. Uh, I, I don't remember. I, wait, I should take that back. We did have Francisco Lindor for a long time. I may have gone a little too far back in my memory there. Uh, but yeah, uh, since Lind, I mean, Ahmed Rosario was fine. He did improve his defense for a little bit before then it, it you know, absolutely jumped off a canyon. Uh, but Brian Rocchio's defense is that elite defense we've been looking for. Uh, and it's a very smooth play moving to his left. And then the spin throw. I don't know how much I can even credit mechanics on a spin throw versus just God-given natural baseball instincts, right? And baseball talent. 
but I will say he does a good job. If, you, if you're going to teach your kids anything from Brian Rocchio's throw, uh, he does get that foot down and does get his hips squared up. And, uh, you know, the throw mechanics are there. Uh, to make that throw. It wasn't a wild throw. He, he didn't uh, do some crazy thing where his hips were faced the wrong direction or something like that. The hips were pointing to first base. Uh, the mechanics were there. So uh, not everyone's going to be able to make that play. But uh, even even a situation like that, the mechanics are important. Uh, and then Cole Calhoun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I You know, six months from now. You may have forgotten who Cal- Cole Calhoun is. You may have forgotten that he was even on this team six months from now. I don't think we're going to forget this catch. This Superman catch he makes on the right field line was absolutely freaking incredible. I, I mean, to see a- an older man lay out like that uh, and catch it clean, uh, it's a heck, a heck of a dive. I mean, that takes a lot of guts. It, you know, you could slide into it or something like that. You can ease the blow a little bit, but he just straight up dove for it. Uh, so all the credit in the world to Cole Calhoun for a fantastic catch. And not to take anything away from his career or Cole Calhoun as a player. I'm just saying in, in Guardians' minds, this definitely is going to be like a trivia question five years from now. Like, who the heck did they get at the trade deadline? Uh to help out their def- their uh, their team uh, or post deadline even, uh, Cole Calhoun. Uh, so great catch there. Um, so we played great defense. We played a really tough game. We just did not have anything going offensively. Uh, speaking of Cole Calhoun added, we actually added Ramon Laureano as well apparently today, which is another bizarre move. Like, what are they looking for? Are they just literally taking taking lotto tickets off the waiver wire at this point? Like, wh- whose innings is he supposed to? Is he supposed to? Is Brennan going on the IL? Like, is that what's happening? Like, I haven't heard a corresponding move really to this. So, what's the point of going on? Is it just organizational depth? Ramon Laureano is a guy outfielder for the Oakland Athletics, uh, who went who went on waivers and we claimed him. Uh, is someone who everyone wanted them to trade for a few years ago when he was hitting for power and hitting for a high average and playing great defense in center field. Uh, you know, his name came up a ton. And now he's fallen on hard times, and now we go get him when you're trying to give the kids time to play. Like, is this is this supposed to be a competitive move? Like, what is going on with Cole Calhoun and Ramon Laureano? Why are we acquiring these guys at this point in the season? It's just, I, I don't understand the direction of the moves. I understand why you're intrigued by the player. I just don't understand the direction of the moves from the front office. All right. Uh, MVP on the day definitely goes to Gavin Williams. I mean, 12 strikeouts, the seven elite innings pitched, the ridiculous fastball, the 40-plus CSW numbers. Gavin Williams is the MVP on the day. Uh, the only email I got so far, uh, again, I'm recording this a little early, is Marlon uh, from Birmingham. And Marlon, uh, you wrote me a novel. Uh, I think we're going to have to put a character limit on emails here because, uh, Marlon, it would be a 10-minute segment just on your email. 
Uh, so I'm going to hit the highlights here. Oh, the Big Rig. That's right. That's the nickname. I was trying to find it earlier. Uh, the Big Rig. That's the nickname. I don't know if this nickname comes from high school or college or if this is a Matt Underwood special, but they're trying to make the nickname Big Rig stick for Gavin Williams. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm sold on that. Um, but he mentioned, they mentioned on the telecast, and Marlon reminds us uh, that he, he's one of the only pitchers in franchise history who had at least 11 strikeouts and zero or one walk uh, in their rookie season. And the other two names on the list were Tristan McKenzie and Louis Tiant. Louis Tiant comes up a lot in these lists. Uh, <laughs> I, You know what? I, before my time, I know the name very well. But before my time, so maybe one of these years we'll have to do a deep dive on Louis Tian and uh, show you just why he keeps popping up on all these lists when it's the the Cleveland all-time this, Cleveland all-time that when it comes to pitching. Um, he said, hard to be upset with De Los Santos, who has been having an amazing year. Uh, yep, I agree with you there. He said, Quan's at bat accurately sums up Cleveland's season. He just missed tying the game on the 0-1 pitch as the ball landed foul down the left field line. Then a couple of pitches later, he weakly hits into a costly inning-ending double play that absolutely killed Cleveland's momentum and swung it back in Toronto's favor. And then he's continuing a thought we've had all season. He said, offensively, this offense has regressed to Van Berkeley level bad. Toronto gets two runs on one swing, Biggio's homer. Meanwhile, Cleveland has to string together three hits, to get one run across. The lack of power in the lineup is very disappointing. Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, Marlon, thank you for the email. Uh, I, again, I, I'll try my best to include your thoughts. Uh, this this one was a novel, uh, but I appreciate the effort and I appreciate all the great information you always bring to the show. So uh, I wanted to talk about the MLB news. So the suspensions came down Um for uh, for the fight, Classe, uh, uh, Francona, third base coach Mike Sarbaugh, and then the White Sox manager Pedro Grafal all got one game suspensions, and they all serve them to. Uh, I believe they all serve them today, or Sarbaugh apparently is going to serve his tomorrow. Um, but they're all serving their one game suspensions. I, for for Classe, it didn't really matter. Did he? He probably threw too many pitches in Sunday's game to even pitch in this game. So uh, he. Gracefully takes his suspension. Uh, Ramirez got three games. Anderson gets six games. They have both appealed their suspensions. uh, And we'll see what comes down there. Usually these guys end up shaving a game or two off of those suspensions when they appeal. So we'll see if there's any movement there. Eventually, Jose will have to miss a game or two. uh, Which is okay. I mean, like we said yesterday, sometimes you got to stand up to a bully. And... uh, Apparently, to continue this story, apparently Ramirez has reached out to try to mend some fences with Tim Anderson uh, and has gotten no response from Tim Anderson. So uh, I know Anderson's been sending out some crazy tweets and stuff like that. Uh, It's just, it's really, it's troubling what goes on in the White Sox clubhouse. There have been reports of other fights happening now, Uh, internal fights. There's been guys, former players, who've been absolutely crushing the culture in the clubhouse and saying like rookie pitchers were sleeping in the bullpen and things like that. Like, uh, yeah, it just seems like there's so much toxic energy around the Chicago White Sox. And this fight has just like brought it all 
you know, to the surface. It's brought out all the comments, all the mentions about it. And it's just, no matter how talented the White Sox have been over the last few years, they've never been able to do anything with it. All those trades, all those amazing players they got in all those trades, they haven't been able to do anything with it. And this is why they've never been able to put together a good culture in that clubhouse. So, uh, yeah, so that's some of the big news going on. Speaking of suspensions, there's another crazy story happening in Baltimore right now where apparently the announcer was suspended and hasn't been on the air since July 30th. Now, Baltimore is now denying this, but the rumor was that he was suspended because he basically did a pregame segment where he talked about how the Orioles cannot figure out how to win a series in Tropicana Field, and it just... For years now, they've been losing series after series in Tropicana Field. And so he does this segment in the pregame show, and people think this is the reason he was suspended. And you watch the clip and you go, what? Did I miss it? What happened? Where's the suspension? Like, where's it coming from? And now they're denying it. They're saying that's not the reason he's not on the air. So we'll see what develops there. But it's just a really, really bizarre story. Like, too many, too many announcers have been suspended over the last few years for saying really messed up, frankly, racist things. And uh, those guys deserve to be off the air. We, They don't deserve to be part of the game if uh, you're using that kind of language and using those kind of words. But what is going on here in Baltimore with this guy? Like, is there, some, is there something they're not telling us? Like, there has to be a reason he's not on the air. Uh... So yeah, so it's it's kind of suspicious. Uh, it's kind of weird, um, and I guess we'll just keep an eye on, on what's happening there. Uh, but that's kind of what's going on around baseball right now. It's a lot of people being suspended and uh, kind of some ugliness right now uh, to start off our August. So uh, yeah, that's the MLB news I wanted to hit real quick there, and of course the addition of Ramon Laureano. We'll see how the official. Uh, move plays out, uh, obviously clearing room on the uh, 40-man roster, and what the corresponding move is, where Loriano fits. I, I see that he's officially been claimed off waivers from the Oakland Athletics. Uh, they designated right-handed pitcher Chris Valamont for assignment, so that makes room for him on the 40-man roster. Is he going to be assigned to AAA? Is he going to be assigned to Cleveland? It doesn't say where he's being assigned yet, so... That's what we got to wait and see to see what's up with the rest of this Ramon Laureano move here. So uh, that's what's going on in MLB uh, news. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Look, it, it was a weird game. It was a, it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't super exciting with no offense, but at least we got Gavin Williams uh, absolutely lighting up the strikeout column. So we got that. Uh, but the final, it's the Blue Jays 3, the Guardians 1. You can follow me on Twitter at David Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Maybe a little more succinct, but let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>